Well, as we continue to worship this morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 this morning will take up our time as we continue to focus in on the nature and character of our God. And as you turn to Psalm 8, let us turn to the Lord one more time as we seek to declare our dependency on Him in all things, especially as our desire is to learn, to grow, to submit to His Word as it is declared, and that He would continue to work His will in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ as the Spirit of Christ moves in us and works in us to will and to work of His good pleasure. Let us pray together. Father, what a glorious thing it is for us to sing of our rock and our Redeemer that You are a mighty God. That you are a God whom can overcome any enemy that we might ever face. Father, may we be encouraged and comforted by the reality that you are upon your throne this morning and that no one will ever be able to usurp it. Father, as we gather this morning and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, and humble our hearts and declare our allegiance to Him. Father, may it be a witness and a proclamation to all around us, even of those who are neighbors of this church, as they see each week your people gather on this Sunday morning to worship you. May it be a testimony of your goodness and grace to us. May it be a testimony of the transformation even of our own hearts and the humility which we seek to have before our almighty God. Father, would you work that humility in us this morning as we come to Psalm 8? And may we be willing to embrace it, to love it, to submit ourselves to its truth, and may it encourage our hearts this morning and for every day of our lives on this earth. We're thankful for it, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we find ourselves in Psalm 8, considering the almighty nature of our God. And as we noted last week, we are going through somewhat of a transition this week in our study as we look at the attributes of God and we move from those attributes that are wholly unique to the holy, transcendent, and infinite one to those that God has imprinted upon mankind who are made in God's image. Remember last week I noted that the first set of attributes, those, are, those that are particular to God, are called incommunicable attributes. And those that we share in a very limited sense and scope are those that we call the communicable attributes of God. And this morning we move to that first attribute as we find it in the Articles of Faith, Article 3-1, concerning the nature and character of our God, that is God the Father. 
Notice it with me in your insert. In the insert in your bulletin this morning, it says, There is but one living and true God, imminent, transcendent, infinite in being and perfection, pure spirit, invisible, immutable, eternal, almighty. Now, of course, it's important, as we noted last week, not to separate God's almightiness from the rest of his attributes. Beloved, it can be a detriment to our understanding of the wholeness of God's nature if we are to separate out one attribute and pit it against the rest. As we learned last week, our God is a simple God. He is not made up of parts. And so at the time that God is almighty, we must remember that God is also love and that when God exercised judgment... We must also remember that God, in the very moment, because God cannot be separated or contradicted among himself, is also merciful and gracious. But this morning, in order for us to continue on in the progress of this study, we must consider that first attribute of God that declares that God is a mighty God. That the God whom we serve this morning is the ruler of all the universe. Now we find this truth in several places throughout scripture. But the text that we will focus on this morning is Psalm chapter 8. I trust that you have your copy of God's word open in front of you. Let us begin to read Psalm chapter 8 beginning with the title. It says this. To the choir master. According to the Giddeth, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him Dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now the first thing I want us to notice this morning in this psalm, is that this psalm was intended to be sung by Israel. Both the addressee, that is to the choir master, and the origin of the tune of this psalm, that is according to Giddith, or from Gath, signify that this was a song of praise in the Israelite hymn book. The intent, certainly, was to impress the truth of God's sovereignty on the minds and the hearts of God's people, as songs often do. 
The truth that lies within this psalm was to be repeated regularly and set to tune so that its truth could be easily accessed by the mind and by the hearts. Therefore, its contents were intended to be at the forefront of God's people. And beloved, we do well this morning to keep in front of ourselves songs that declare the majesty of our God. Beloved, we do well to sing songs that remind us of the humility of mankind. Brothers and sisters, we do well to sing songs that remind us, even as Psalm 8 does here, that there is nothing, or that we are nothing, and that God is everything. And I'm convinced that the more exultant our songs are on the majesty and glory of God, the better. And this is something that we see over and over again in the Psalms, as we will note this morning through our time together. But we see it especially in Psalm 8. At the core of Psalm 8's message is the majesty and sovereignty of our God. You see, beloved, our God is an almighty God, which means that God stands above all of creation and rules it absolutely perfectly. We see this in verse 1 of Psalm 8. Two things that I would like us to see this morning from Psalm 8, if you are following along on the insert in your bulleted. And the first thing from verse 1 is that God is above, or that God rules above all creation. God is above all creation. Notice it with me, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. In three places in this first verse, we see David, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, directs our attention to three words that communicate to us the kingship and sovereignty of our God. It's the word Lord, as we see it at the beginning, and majestic, and even that word glory at the end of verse 1. That first word, Lord, is the word Adonai. It's a word that was familiar to the saints of the Old Testament, and one that is found over and over and over again throughout the text of Scripture. The word Adonai is is intended and often communicates the idea of a great king or a majestic ruler or the master over a certain domain. And as poetry often does, David repeats this word in order to drive the point home. The text goes on to say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word for majestic means leader, or mighty one, or noble, which again points us to the reality of a great king. And what we note in that phrase, how majestic is your name in all the earth, 
is that the character of God's majesty and sovereignty is seen in the things that we see in the created and natural realm. We see this again in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. God is not only the sovereign ruler of what we can see down here, but he is also exalted above all of the heavens. Notice it at the end of verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Again, that third word there, glory, means authority or majesty or ruler. It often denotes the splendor of a great king. And what we find in that phrase is that the glory of God is exalted even above the heavens. And the poetic picture presented to us here in this first verse is that God is the ruler and reigner over everything. And the progression in this text, if you notice, goes from the smallest even to the greatest. Notice what the author does here. He goes from the individual heart to all the activity in the earthly sphere to everything that has been created in the heavenly realms. Maybe you didn't notice that at first. Look at it again in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, individual Sovereignty, how majestic is your name in all the earth, the physical realm. You have set your glory above the heavens, that is, the universe. The intent, beloved, is to show the extensive nature of God's authority. God is sovereign king and ruler over all things. He directs the affairs of all his creation with precision and intention, even as he sets each star in place. Notice the author says this in verse 3 of Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. The word to set in place means to be ordered and shows that there is purpose and intent in the creation of all things. You see, beloved, God has mastery over every element in the material world and he puts each atom in place and governs them precisely. This speaks against that notion that all things just evolved with no direction or design. It also stands against that notion that the universe is just some random series of events that came into place by chance over billions of years. You see, brothers and sisters, Darwinian and evolution and biblical Christianity cannot coexist. 
God, with every intention of his wise counsel, placed every element and atom in particular form and fashion. The image here in verse 3 is a placing of each star and celestial body in its proper place according to God's infinite wisdom and power. We see this again in a psalm like Psalm 147. Notice it on the insert in your bulletin, Psalm 147, verses 4 and 5. says this, He determines, that is to say He purposes or intends, He determines the number of the stars, and He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power His understanding is beyond measure. And as I read this text in verse 3, the picture that immediately came to my mind was that of an artist applying the finishing details to a portrait with the utmost care and intentionality. Each fine brushstroke added with thoughtful attention to detail. Beloved, when we look at the universe around us and, on, and upon the earth in which we live, we ought to marvel at the perfect mastery that our God has over all things. For not a star is out of place, not a planet out of orbit, Not a meteor out of course, nor is there any rogue Adam defiant to the providential majesty of our God. Rest assured this morning, according to the scripture, that God governs all things according to his power and wisdom and might. All things are in place And working as God has determined. And we see this everywhere in scripture. We see in the Bible that God directs the winds and the waves. That God directs the great sea creatures of the deep. And fires and hail and snow and mist. And all that exists within the created order. Listen to Psalm 107, verse 25. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Psalm 148, verse 7 through 8. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. God governs and directs all things. He even pays mind to every sparrow and counts every single hair Upon our head. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29. Jesus himself says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny. And not one of them will fall to the ground. Apart from your father. 
and even the hairs of your head are all numbered. You see, beloved, we can rest confidently this morning that there is nothing that goes unnoticed by the sovereign of the universe. Maybe you are here this morning and you are thinking, God has forgotten me or not paid attention to my circumstance. But let me assure you this morning that there is nothing in this world that God does not take notice of, nor does he direct according to his good pleasure. God governs and directs all things, even a smooth stone from the sling of a child. I love what David does in this psalm because he takes the truth that he's just declared in verse 1 and he applies it even to himself in verse 2 of Psalm 8. Notice it with me. Notice what David says in verse 2. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. David gives us two applications of this beautiful truth in this psalm. And the first one that we see here is David applying the sovereign rulership of our God over all things, even as he recollects his own situation. Notice what we see here at the beginning of Psalm 8 in the title. It's one of the reasons why I had us read the title. Because David makes an interesting connection with Psalm 8 to part of his own history. Notice again, the title says, To the choir master, according to Giddeth, a psalm of David. That phrase, according to Giddeth, could mean a number of different things. And commentaries are honestly pretty divided over exactly what it means. But one of the possibilities is that this hymn originated in Gath as a joyous song of celebration. Now I wonder this morning if you are familiar with David's connection and history to the city of Gath. There was a certain individual whom David had a very famous confrontation with who was from Gath. Notice this with me over in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning I invite you to, invite you to turn there with me can be found on page 224 in your Bibles. Well, that is in the chair Bible in front of you. 224, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Notice what we read there. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle... And they were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokol and Zekiah in Ephes Damim. I'm sure I messed all of those names up, but I'm sure you understand. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. 
and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Verse 4, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's right. Whether this hymn of praise originated in Gath or it was sung by the people of Gath, it would seem that David draws on this connection to the place of the victory that God secured for him over Goliath, and he reflects even on the nature of God's majesty. Remember a few particular details from the story of David slaying Goliath. Goliath was a giant among men. He stood as an imposing representation of the best and strongest and maybe even the most majestic warriors that man had to offer. And he even stands in defiance of God. First Samuel chapter 17 verse 10 says, And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. We also know from this story that David is just a boy. We know that he has no weapon of warfare, for a, a sword was too heavy for him to wield. And we know that he has no armor for protection, for Saul's armor was too heavy for him to bear. Verse 38 and 39. And yet David steps to this giant of a man with merely a sling and a stone. For David's weapon and protection is Almighty God. David did not trust in the weapons of men. David trusted in the majesty of God. And so David steps to Goliath, the boy Verse the giant, the weak of this world, verse the strong, and he declares before men the glory of God. Listen to David's response to Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45 and 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give you into my hand. Beloved, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. It's almost as if David is looking to the stars and reflecting upon the mighty nature and governance of his good, gracious, and almighty God. And he flashes back just for a moment to the victory that was granted to him by God against Goliath. And he declares even in Psalm 8 verse 2 that God is majestic in all the earth, that God is sovereign over all things, even over the smallest of pebbles to defeat the greatest of men. See, beloved, the majesty of God does not merely extend to the elemental principles of our created order. It even extends to the actions and conquests of men. Listen to Psalm 33 verse 13 through 17. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue. Isaiah 40 Verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of this earth as emptiness. The majesty of God and the mastery of his rule is not limited to part of his domain. It is over all that he has created. And the psalmist seeks to drive this reality home by giving us an illustration of this principle as he applies the sovereignty and dominion and mastery that God has to the dominion that God has given to men within the created order. If you're following along this morning in your inserts, not only do we see that God rules above all creation, we see, secondly, that man rules above all creatures. That man rules above all creatures. Notice it with me in verse 4 of Psalm 8. Verse 4 of Psalm 8. It says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, 
and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now there's an interesting tension that exists In these verses. The first thing that we see is the humility of man. As David declares that we are nothing in comparison to God. You notice that in verse 4. Where he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. The point is that man is so inferior to God that it seems inconceivable that God would take interest in him. We've already seen this reality in Isaiah chapter 40. The inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers to Almighty God. The point is that grasshoppers are to man what man is to God. And if we are honest this morning we probably do not often think about grasshoppers. I imagine when you were in the car this morning on your way to church, grasshoppers were probably not the first thing on your minds. Unless maybe you are a grasshopper enthusiast, if there is such a thing. Even if a grasshopper were to hop along your path, I imagine that that grasshopper would not take up much space in your thoughts and your intentions. And the point that God is seeking to make is that we are but grasshoppers when it comes to the almighty nature of God. Now, of course... This is not a one-to-one equivalent, but this is the point. Just like our world does not revolve around grasshoppers, so God's world does not revolve around man. Now that is not to say that God does not give thought to men, nor does it mean that God does not love or commit himself to the well-being of men. He does all these things... And he even gives man an exalted position in creation. And the point is that this is at the consternation of the psalmist. Being that we are like grasshoppers, being that we are so infinitesimal to God, why would God ever pay mind or attention to us? But he does. But he does love us. But he did send his son to this earth in order to die for the sins of humanity. But he does grant eternal life to those who believe. But he does give so many blessings to his people. 
But even though, beloved, God is good to humanity, and he certainly is. Even though God cares for us, we must never fall under the impression that we as human beings are at the center of God's universe. Now that might be hard for us to hear this morning, which is why I think we need to hear it nonetheless. We are not at the center of God's universe. What we learn in Psalm chapter 8 is that God is at the center of God's universe. God is the Almighty One. God directs all the affairs of men as he sees fit in order that he might receive all the glory. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Hear it again this morning in verse 4 of Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We are so, hear this, we are so insignificant in relation to God, but we are also very significant in relation to the rest of creation. God has made man in his image, and he has given to men the dominion over all the earth. The psalmist continues, notice, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him, that is man, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. We, that is mankind, being made in God's image, with all the attributes that he has so graciously communicated to us, are intended to be a rudimentary representation of the sovereign control that God exercises over all of creation. God has given us dominion that is rule and authority over all creatures, Genesis 1, 26 and 28, in order that we might display in part the magnitude of the dominion and majesty of our God. I mean, just think about it for a moment. Think about how men mimic the sovereign authority of our God in the realm of creation. We, as human beings, can take the colors of the palette of nature and transform them into a medium that allows us to duplicate for some in a very masterful way the beauty in God's creation. I mean, just think of the paintings of Renoir or da Vinci or Michelangelo or Monet. 
each one having complete control and mastery over their tools and pigments to create the most appealing works of art. Or another example, we as human beings made in the image of God can take the tones of nature around us, capture them in strings under tension and arrange them according to the laws and principles of music and duplicate the most beautiful sounds that God has given to us in the symphony of creation. Think of the works of Beethoven and Mozart or Bach, each one with the greatest discipline and learning in the way that music works, and therefore they're able to apply themselves to make melodies and tunes that are pleasing to the ear. Or think of engineers and physicists, who have taken the fundamental principles of math and science to construct the most technologically advanced supercomputers. Or architects and carpenters who have erected the most intricate churches, buildings, and even skyscrapers. Or civil servants who understand the relationship that exists between economies and therefore can lead in ways that are helpful and conducive to growth. Whether it be in the arts or physics or math or civics, men can take the intricate relationship that exists between things and tame them in order to bring about the greatest good and beauty. But beloved... That is not so that we might receive all the praise. Beloved, that is not so that we might put these men on a pedestal and worship them for their skill and talents. Beloved, the reason God has given gifts to such men is so that we can be constantly reminded that our God is sovereign over the universe and as much as we have incomplete control over the physical realm, so God has control over all things. And so as we admire a painting, or as we enjoy a piece of music, or as we marvel at the things that man has constructed, the intent and the purpose is to remind us every single time of the majesty of our God in order that we might fall down and worship him. And beloved, just as much as the painter has controlled of every brush stroke, and just as much as the musician has control and mastery over every musical note, and just as much as the engineer has a command on the laws of physics, so our God 
has mastery and command and control of every single detail of our lives. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that the Lord of the universe must paint the masterpiece of our lives both with dark and light strokes? Everything that comes into your life comes into your life with purpose and intent. For there is no rogue Adam in all of creation, but God directs them all to the glory of his name. Might we declare, even with the psalmist this morning, the outro of our psalm in verse 9. Maybe we could even say it in unison together this morning. Would you repeat with me together? I trust that you have your Bibles open to Psalm 8, verse 9. Let us say it together as we close this sermon. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May God receive all the praise. Let us pray.